Top Hill Recording Podcast, Episode 11. We're back in action, Neil. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you tonight? I'm good. Before we pour uh, our bourbon of the night, why don't you introduce us to our guest? All right. Tonight we are going to... I can't wait for this. Ready? We're going to get acquainted. Hey! hey. <laughs> Look a, at it. With an old friend of mine, Ian Truax, the bass player for Acquainted Strangers. What's up, everybody? So, uh, yeah, we've known each other forever. Uh, it's... Uh, yeah, that's one of the things whenever you're around here. It's like you just know people for no reason because <laughs> we shouldn't know each other, but we do because my dad taught his dad Sunday school and somehow we ended up playing music together and been a lifelong friendship after that. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I do have to say, Ian Truax, that's got to be the coolest name. Is that cool? Friday, uh, 7 o'clock, Ian Truax. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. I'm not one of those people that thinks that. <laughs> You're but, not an Ian Truax fan? No, Come not on, at all. Not at all. I like my last name because it sounds really awesome. Until you meet me and you realize I'm not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got a cool name, but you're yeah. not that cool. Huh? I got a name that sounds like I should wear like red, white, and blue leather <laughs> and jump motorcycles. And here I am. Five foot seven, and I'm not that impressive. I don't know, man. I disagree. I got a decent personality, so that's that's why I think I'm pretty perfect for podcast and radio. You got good tattoos. Well, uh, yeah. You're a bass player. I had to do something. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you, you, your mindset fits the groove of a really good bass player. There you go. Truax. So Truax. You should have a bass line called the Truax. You know what? I could probably just pick one that i've already done and call it that because everything <laughs> i lay down is just gnar man that's all that's why that's what i go for there you go all right neil so what'd you bring us tonight pour a pour a little bit for myself and ian drax ian drax can i pour some for me too yeah all right so well uh we kind of had a choice and, and we were going with something and then because uh this is going to lead to a, a story for ian we ended up picking old forester 100 and the reason we picked it is because, as always, we, we got into looking at it. And he was like, oh, I used to work there, and then started telling the story. And we were like, all right, stop talking. We're, we're, we're definitely doing Old Forester now. So you used to work at Old Forester? Or? Uh, I actually, I've worked in Bourbon for a long time. Um, I currently work for Brown Foreman. So if they're listening to this, hey, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've worked out in, um, well, they're called Rick Houses. I've worked out in the Rick Houses for uh, Brown Foreman for, oh, I actually just switched departments in, in December, but I went and did a month-long stint here in January uh, back in the warehouses. So uh, I worked there for about a year and a half total. So what do you do when you work in a Rick House? There's a few jobs. It's really funny to me. Um, the bourbon industry is really, really outdated, like mechanically. But, like, we're one of the most dominating, you know, spirits on the market. And our machinery that we use hasn't been updated since, like, 1950. Do you think that they they think that the reason they don't update it is because they they psychologically think it makes the taste? Or do you think they're just uh, cheap and want that money? I think that uh, my opinion is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There you go. All right. Well, and, you know, stuff built in the, the 50s was built to last, it's always built well, so maybe they just got something that's built better than... You know, those rick houses, they look like they could collapse on you anytime. Well, well they do. Uh, there's a there's a few different kinds of rick houses. The ones that we have um, here, they're all brick. They are built to withstand the test of time. We've got... Brown Foreman's in Louisville, <clears throat> right? Our, uh, our rick houses are out in Shively. 
uh, let's see, you can be a warehouse person, which is where you go in and you either bring in the barrels that come in and put them away or you take them out. Um, then there's truck drivers and they're the guys who they either drive barrels down to, oh, Woodford or sometimes we go over to Michter's every so often. Um, then there's, uh, the other job is they're called the, uh, senior POs, they're processing operators or something like that. And then the guys that dump everything, you know, make sure it gets, uh, cut right and get it sent down to the bottling house. The real question is... How do you apply for the taste tester? You know, we do have a master taster, (laughs) and she has nothing to do with us. Really? She comes out every so often. all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's a real nice gal. Uh, I don't even remember her name, to be honest. She just pops up every so often. I've accidentally locked her in a warehouse one time. So, (laughs) But uh, she's a real nice girl, and I don't know how she gets a job. I think you start off as a bartender, and you just know somebody, and you just make a really awesome drink, and they say you're going to be our master taster because I would be down for that. This is some sweet stuff, This, by is, the this way. isn't bad. I no. think it's pretty good. Oh, Forrester, in my opinion, is probably the best bourbon on the market right now. Uh, it's also because it's been slept on a whole lot. Brown Foreman bought Jack Daniels in the 1950s, and so they put most of their money into Jack Daniels, which is why early times kind of got known as like your grandfather's whiskey and old forester kind of took a back seat kind of sorta and it's only been in the last oh they're doing they did a really they started doing a really big push in the last 10 years to make old forester and, and kind of revamp it back up so it's basically untouched that's good well yeah. cheers guys cheers nice to we meet you Ian. nice to meet you yeah i mean perfect we, we, we needed some bourbon yeah um, and you know is... what also this is the one of the few bourbons that we've had lately that's not owned by sazerac that's true. It's well, Brown and Foreman. It's Brown and Foreman. Yeah. Brown, Brown, Brown Foreman. Foreman. Brown Foreman. Brown Foreman. Yeah, not Brown, Brown and Brown. Foreman. That's a law like office. Yeah, Brown Foreman. Well, it was. Garvin Brown, and uh, he bought, basically he bought out a guy whose last name was Forrester, but started a company together. But Garvin Brown started the company in 1884. Man, do they make you take a history test before you start with them or um, what? I'm a history major. Oh, okay. <laughs> or I was, I guess, in college. Um, so I just soak up numbers like a sponge. I think it's 1884, 1886, something like that. Back in the 1800s. We'll give you a two-year leeway. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And uh, we actually, we did just do a little history uh, over the winter shutdown. Got a got a nice little lesson. Really? Mm-hmm. Did you get to sit bourbon while you are getting your history lesson? We did not. We got we did get a, a well, that's gift. That's why he remembers it. We got a gift for, of bourbon for Christmas this year, but uh, we didn't we didn't get to sip around on it. The the industry is. It's kind of gotten frowned on with the the whole free liquor kind of thing. Um, I worked for Heaven Hill for a little bit too, and that's where I was actually doing like taste testing, and I was a tour guide for their new place downtown uh, at the Evan Williams, whatever whatever it is. You actually you learned that companies used to do these crazy holiday parties and just free liquor this, free liquor that, and uh, I don't remember who it was, but. Somebody got into an accident after leaving one of those mm. and then blamed it that basically work forced him to to drink as much as he had, and he killed an entire like mm. carload of people. So we don't get as much free stuff as one would hope when they work for a bourbon company. <laughs> well, there, there are quite a few old Forrester bourbons, too. There are, 
and they're all amazing. If you're listening to this, um, you want me to keep my job, go out and buy one apiece. <laughs> well, so I had yeah. a bottle not too long ago, and I can't remember, it, like 1874 was the name of it or something, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there's the, there's the 1874, the 1875, uh, then there's the 1910, um, which is our pre-prohibition blend of basically, they say it's how uh, Garvin Brown did it, 1910, or at least Brown, uh, Brown Foreman did. And then there's the 1920, which is their their other one that they do. The 1910 is a it's a it's basically it's a double oaked um, sort of a thing. It's they age it, then they put it into uh, aged into a new another new barrel, and they age it again. So it's a lot smoother. It's got a lot of more character to it. I really like this. Yeah, that's actually the bottle that they gave us for Christmas this year. Oh, really? The, I got some at the house. Nineteen ten. Uh-huh. If I had known that, you know, it was, you know, we got two bottles here. It was bring your own. You know, I would maybe would have brought some. Hey, Neil, that might be an idea. The guest brings the bourbon. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> I think we're gonna have a lot less guests. <laughs> uh, I don't mind sharing, so I'll always be a guest. All right, awesome. And you can uh, bring us some knowledge on some bourbon. I've got plenty of knowledge and a lot of bullshit. <laughs> so, you've been in the bourbon industry for a year and a half, or just with Brown? No, Foreman no, no. For I've I've been with Brown Foreman for at my five year mark in March this year. Oh wow, okay. Um, and then I did about a year long, now uh, between six months to a year with uh, Heaven Hill at the Heaven Hills in Bardstown, correct? Their their distilleries in Bardstown. Well, actually, that's a lie. Here's some more bourbon knowledge for you. Heaven Hill had a big fire back in the 90s. Heaven Hill's on fire. We're going to put the glutes, Heaven Hill, right there. That's a real song. All the Barkstown's crying tonight. Heaven Hill's on fire. And when they did, when they had the fire, they lost a they lost a ton of product. And so then Brown Foreman stepped up to help them out. Started aging barrels for them and everything like that. And they actually, they sold them because we had two uh, distillers at the time. We had the Early Times Distillery in Shively, and then we had the, uh, oh, I don't remember the name of it, but um, we had another distillery on 17th. Um, Brown Foreman's at 18th and Dixie, and then the distillery was on 17th Street, like right behind it. And I always wondered about whenever I went to work about how Heaven Hill had, you know, a distillery in downtown Louisville, and they're based out of Bardstown. So their bottling facility still out in Bardstown. Oh. And they distill, and that's why they get to claim uh, DSP-1 is because it was actually, uh, I believe, unless I'm completely wrong and this is a bunch of bullshit, um, <laughs> that they can claim DSP-1 is because that was the first the first uh, licensed distillery in Louisville. DSP-1, what's that? Every bottle, whenever, it'll tell you who made it. And so it's the distillers something, something. And so basically every distillery has a number. Mm-hmm. And so one of uh, Heaven Hill's big claims to fame is that they're DSP number one. They were the first one here. They, they, they just say, oh, our, our, our distillery was the first one here. Our distillery oh, okay. was. Yeah. We were the first. Well, mm-hmm. that's bad. It would be big in bourbon, you know, bourbon country mm-hmm. yeah, just to have that claim. So they got to keep that claim because of, basically because Brown Foreman. Anything you can think of. It's the bourbon industry, like they just latch onto it, and it's like how to say that you're better than somebody else. It's, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, Neil, and say that you will never bring another bourbon into this podcast, and our guest works there. 
I'm gonna go searching for people that work at the NBA. <laughs> I, no, can, I can guarantee bring, it. I can bring you so many people. Are they, oh man, we all work there. We're all here. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is. It's one of those things, and that's one of the the main reasons why I like bourbon. Um, being a history major, and, and I grew up loving uh, stories and fantasy and all that kind of stuff. Bourbon's basically the fantasy genre of of whiskey. You know, um, we have our own. Um, way that we came up every brand has their own thing that they're claiming to be the number one best thing at uh elijah craig um was a was a bishop or a a priest or a a preacher of some kind who had a barn fire that he they claimed that he was the first person that did the charred barrel uh you know evan williams was the first distiller in louisville old forester was the first person to start blending whiskey together in in louisville and uh was able to to, to last through prohibition and is like the longest running company in bourbon history. Everybody's got their thing, you know. It, it's become a real niche too, isn't it? Uh, for I mean, sure. It, and it's our bourbon 10 years ago was just starting, but 20 years ago, it wasn't a big deal. It was not like a thing. It was cheapest bottle. Yeah. Now it is yeah. such a. It is such a thing. But just the last eight to ten years, I mean, happens. how many bottles can you not find now? I mean, yeah. you know, that you could just go in and pick up any time. You're your favorite, Elmer T. Lee. Can't you know, you used to get that it. all a, the time. It's a problem. It's, it's, it, it really it's is. It's ridiculous. The I mean, bourbon boom technically started in the 90s, but it wasn't until in like the mid-early 2000s. Well, I don't know how you ever would do How do you say that? Mid early two thousands. That sounds great. <laughs> That's so. We know what you mean. It's so oxymoronic. It's like uh, I grew up. My the street I grew up on here is uh, old new cut. Old new cut. All right. But so when the bourbon boom happened, that's why I like uh, my favorite bourbon for a long time was Elijah Craig, but it was a 12-year bourbon. Ooh, I still love Elijah Craig. Oh, don't get me talking about it because I could go for hours just talking about that. They recently took the, the – it, it was a big ordeal in the bourbon industry, but like uh, they recently took the uh, the age off of everybody's, their bottle. Everybody's taking we, their age statements off. Yeah, we've mentioned that how many times now? We can't keep up. We cannot keep so up. So we just had Johnny Drum a week or two ago, and Johnny Drum used to be uh, have a 15-year-old age statement on it, and it's gone now. So Neil figured it's four years now. Yeah, I was like, dude, it's soon as they, <laughs> soon as they can pull them out and make turn that profit. Because like, like you said, you That's, just can't hold on to anything. It's not completely true. We've got barrels that are pretty, pretty daggone old in the warehouse. But they do, like, they. the more that they can put out, the better. Um, there's a whole lot of markets now. Especially for bourbon, it's overseas especially, like is it's starting to get real hot overseas. Oh, yeah, and that's one of the main reasons why Japan, they're... Japan's a huge market, isn't oh, it? Oh my gosh, Japan loves it. Japan can't get and enough. And what can you charge in Japan for a bottle of what uh, Evan Williams? Well, actually, fifty dollars. Uh, Brown Foreman has a specific early times that they do specifically for Japan. We have we have two runs that we do. There's a yellow label and a brown label. Have you seen it? Have you mm-hmm. seen the label? Oh, uh, those would be cool. I've run. Oh, yeah. Can I you take a picture of those? Um, I might be able to get you a picture, but I don't we work. In, I don't one. work in the bottling house down there anymore. Is the label Japanese? Mm-hmm. We could probably yeah. Google it. Actually, uh, yeah, you probably just you Google, just Google um, yellow label uh, early times Japan. They have a brown. They have a, a, a yellow, and the whole back label is in Japanese. The front label is in English and Japanese, and we don't sell it here, but hmm. it sells like crazy over in Japan, and I think. Uh, what's the, what's the Japanese money? Was that yen? Yen. yen? yen? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it goes for like six hundred yen. I have no idea. Which is which is about like sixty bucks here. Good lord. 
<laughs> now, granted, this is, like I said, full of bullshit. So. Yeah. Well, you, I'm, I'm buying it all. So buy, buy it, sell it, strain it, <laughs> bring it back to me whenever you know something. So, so what is Old Forester's premium bourbon? Uh, they've gotten more and more into more of the premium game. I would say all Old Forester is premium. That's that's the that way I look like at it. Sounds like an old Forester employee there. Uh, yeah, buddy. Well, we've got Brown Foreman. We've got a few different brands. We've got the Old Forester. We've got Early Times, which you can still find that Early Times Hunter Proof that they did a little run of mm-hmm. uh, a couple years ago. That's oh my god, it's good. Oh my gosh, it's the best. It's the best. It's the best thing that we've done, and they don't do nothing with it. Early Times One Hundred. Yeah, if you can find it, it's got a blue label. Blue and bronze. Then we have Cooper's Craft. I like Cooper's Craft. Cooper's is for uh, a lot of people who can't handle other bourbons. Cooper's mm-hmm. is real soft. I like the Basil Hayden, so it's, it makes mm-hmm. sense why yeah. I like some Cooper's. Then they've got the Cooper's 100 now. They did the select run. Then we also, I'd say Brown Foreman's more premium whiskey or bourbon that they do is Woodford. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Woodford is 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 their uh, pride and joy right now. It's their baby. Um, it's the one they're going to be pushing hard into into other markets. So that's that the double oak. Well, Woodford's all, all their Derby honey. I mean, that's where I always thought. I always thought said that Old Forester is the poor man's Woodford, meaning you don't have to pay forty dollars for a fit. It's real similar. It's, it's very real close. similar, but people you know you can they can say what they want but there's slight differences and everything absolutely I, I do miss the cork though man uh but yeah. a lot of people have been going away from corks for a long time the, yeah. they don't age as well uh on shelves you can keep things on shelves longer with a that's called an ropp cap i love it <laughs> but you can uh that's an ropp cap and it can stay on the shelves for forever that or with just a regular standard twist off forever is that why i like wine bottles if they sit forever go bad the cork well corks allow in a small amount of oxygen they have to they're porous in some that's measure. why you gotta lay them on their side the yeah. wine bottles and so that's why also for old whiskey bottles they also tell you whenever you cork it to roll it and so that way you can get the cork wet because it keeps it saturated so it allows less air to get in basically they age so they're still fine i mean 100 year old whiskey it's cloud it's cloudy as fuck but i mean you can still drink it I don't recommend it, but you can still drink it. I just couldn't imagine wanting to, number one, I mean, like, even storing anything. I got, if i got a bottle of something, I'm drinking it, man. If you go down to my house, there is the, one bottle of bourbon, and it is the current bottle I'm drinking. I don't save anything. So if I buy a $40 bottle of bourbon, that's what I'm drinking until it's gone. I concur. I think I honestly think it's a waste to try to have bourbon aficionados, like, Anybody listens to this that collects bourbon, crucify me in your little podcast yourself. I don't care. <laughs> but it's 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 a damn waste. It's a waste. It was made. It's Could art. Yeah. This this isn't this is an art. This is this is an art form, and it was made to be drank. And so, people who buy entire cases of stuff and just keep it in their in their basement for no other reason than they just they can they can sell it at some point. There's a whole lot of buying Sometimes and trading like going an on. Investment. So you think the flavor changes just sitting on a shelf unopened? Hmm. <clears throat> I think that the flavor could change, uh, but I have to do a trial and error on that. But definitely, but if you, you open think, it, wouldn't you think that after it comes out, it, it sits for so long in a barrel to get to the flavor and the taste that's going, it's meant to be drank at, and it's putting that bottle. And once it's out of the barrel and put in the bottle, why would you not want to drink it? Why would you want to? 
I understand like preserving and having few like you know fifteen twenty that you drink from if you like just a sip every now and again. But if you're a bourbon drinker to where you're, you know, you're on the, like me, I probably buy a bottle a week, uh, if not more. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I, I don't know. So on my bar, I've got this weird thing I do, and I try to keep myself from doing it. Uh-huh. But I drink them all to the same level. I knew you were going to say something like that. That's just so cool, though. I'm not going to lie. That's that's some. That's not like, cool. That's, that's no, ADD. That, that is, but like that takes so much dedication and skill. I can't. I can't do it. Look at him. He's got. I guarantee you, Look we go it. down there. There's a ruler somewhere around that hey, bar. No, no it's not that bad. If you, if he can do that, if he has the willpower to sit there and look at this kind of stuff and go, I'm only going to drink it to this point. Yeah, that is yeah, a that, that's, that that's is a that's impressive. a sam, that's a samurai. That I don't is, care. I don't care what you say. Like that's some dedication. You, we are sitting in this. Have you noticed how uh, symmetrical everything in this room is? How good it looks. I'm glad you it's have like, that type of dedication, it's man. Because like modern art, it looks amazing. <laughs> you got this one over here, and it's almost perfectly in line. Yeah. <laughs> so Ian, we just finished this. Yeah, this is this yeah. is uh, the first go around, man. Yeah, this is. I, it's a nice to be the first. Person in the finish. It looks great. I and like you know, the little sliding right. door here. You know, this is the first time so we've recorded the, the podcast out here, and the sound is good. Yeah, it is. It's really I, good. I will say that in the headphones, you know, whenever listening to the podcast before, that you could hear a slight echo in the microphones, and I don't hear nothing but Neil's loud ass. That's all <laughs> I hear. Yeah. <laughs> my, my squeak every now and again. This yeah. has definitely been our most interesting bourbon segment. Hold on. Oh, look at him. I like sounds, man. That's an, that's an artist right there. He All right, Ian, so we're going to start. We're going to oh, have yeah. you take us back. Take us back. And go back to the first time you remember music as something that was going to be important to you. Where do you... Uh, <clears throat> do you want the, the, the real part, or do you want what I remember, like just what something that stuck with me? Because if you want to say when music was going to be a big part of my life, I mean, I, when you're a kid, you always you listen to music and you jump around and stuff like that. But I I got a bass put in my hand when I was 12, and I got promised, this will get you women. And <laughs> I said, this is, I said, that's it. But if you want the really cute answer, I remember I was about I thought that was the cute answer, man. I like that answer. <laughs> um, I was about four. I had a I had a real problem being able to sleep at night. You know you know how kids do that little thing, and it's real annoying. Why they don't actually cry, but they'll they'll real softly they'll like you know kind of sort of thing. So I was I was laying awake, couldn't sleep in my little bunk bed, and and I was going mom mom, and she'd come in and she'd and and so like I don't know how she heard it. She must have had them mom sensors on. Which hold on, his mom's a piano player. She plays. So she's a musician. Yeah, uh, she played organ at church and piano and all that kind of stuff. My entire life. I, I, yeah, that's yeah. one of the reasons why Neil and I know each other. But uh, <clears throat> she came in, and I remember her singing, uh, I don't remember what uh, hymn or song it was, but she sang to me until I fell asleep, and that stuck with me because that's one of the main reasons why I think that I love music as much as I do is my mom would just come in every night and sing to me. But I uh, got started on piano lessons when I was six, and I hated it. Torture. Hated it. Hated it. Oh, my gosh. If <laughs> I hope she's dead. This has been a theme of the podcast. 
uh, I, I, was it was it uh, Miss Jacqueline Rodriguez? No, 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 no. Ian, I don't you didn't just her say I hope she's dead, did you? I do because I don't want her to. I don't want her to listen to this and go. I taught him, and now he hates me. How <laughs> <laughs> about I hope she doesn't listen to this? Well, well, I mean, she was old as it was. You know, she didn't podcast. Her name listen. was Sue or something. I don't know. And she'd sit there and she'd make me stretch my fingers out every on the piano. You're not stretching far enough. <laughs> I'm six, ma'am. Leave me alone. Um, I have actually, my, I think my big thing with music is I have a love-hate relationship with music. I've always wanted something else, and I've only been able to achieve something. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've always wanted more and more. Because um, I, I started piano lessons when I was six. When I was seven, I realized I wanted to play the guitar. And I wanted to play the guitar so bad. Uh, my parents, I still own the guitar, actually. I, it was um, 90s uh, Harmony. It's a Korean-made, cheap, cheap little, uh, what are they, a Stratocaster yeah. lookalike. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I played, I didn't know what tuning was. I didn't know what anything was. And I beat the <laughs> shit out of those strings. I'd sit there and I'd strum. I'd say, hey, guys, listen to my new song. Meh. <laughs> and not make a lick of sense. So then um, my parents, knowing that they how great they are and wanting me to be happy, they decided that before we went to go do piano lessons, there was a there was a, a guy that taught guitar, looked a lot like Neil except he had longer hair. So I remember coming up to him, and you know I'm shy, I'm seven. He's this rock god, you know what I'm saying? And uh, to me, I don't know what rock gods look like when you're seven, but he looked like it. <laughs> and uh, so my mom walks me up to him, and she says. Uh, you know, my son is uh, really interested in playing the guitar. He's taking piano lessons, but he thinks he'd rather play guitar. And so the guy looked me up and down. I'm seven. I'm seven. <laughs> he looked me up and down, grabbed my hand, and goes, eh, he's too small. You remember this? What? I remember this. Specific. Yeah. He said you're too small? He said I'm too small to play guitar. He looked at my hands and said my hands were too small to come back when I was around 10 when my hands were bigger so I could actually mm-hmm. hold a guitar. And I don't know about you, but I go on YouTube right now, and there are six-year-olds playing guitar that are unbelievable. That are unfriggin' believable. And so I'm mad at this man because he hindered my musical ability by six <laughs> years. Six years. You could have been so much better. By I could have been so much better. Right now, you could have been six years better than you are so right now. So that shelved your guitar playing. That shelved guitar. But so I. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say he looked at you and went. Nah. You need to play the bass. Nah. No, no, I wish. <laughs> Actually, how I started playing bass was uh, Ron Davidson. I was going to say, it had to have been a Davidson connection, yeah. man. Ron he... Davidson. I was uh, 12. I was switching schools. I was going to uh, Iroquois at the time, and my dad taught there. And my dad got a new job over at No, so he brought me along with him because did I really want to ride a bus? No. No. N-O-E. So, no. <laughs> so uh, we're going over, and Dad got married by Ron Davidson, so he said, you know, Ron said that they're looking for somebody to play upright bass and orchestra. I thought that sounded lame. I was like, that's a nerd thing. Dad, I'm not a nerd. Do you see me? I read books and I play video games. I'm not a nerd. I'm 50 pounds overweight, and I don't do anything. I'm not a nerd. So um, I said, well, I don't really know. Um, so then I met Ron Davidson. He talked and he, he said to me, he said, you play orchestra for me. I'll teach you electric bass. We'll get you girls. And thank you, Ron. It worked. <laughs> it worked. 
it worked. I'm married now. <laughs> so I got at least one. <laughs> you got the, only, the one you needed. The, the, the one. The one. You know, why, why worked else, out perfect. Why look anywhere else? He did not lie to you. <laughs> so that, that was middle school. Seventh that was grade, middle school. sixth grade. Seventh grade. Seventh grade. I remember when you started. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when you started playing bass. I actually remember I that, when you started. I was that bad. So you were playing the upright bass in the mm-hmm. orchestra, mm-hmm. and he was teaching you electric bass. And he would bass. come to church and play electric bass. Yeah. Okay. So I've been playing... Uh, you, you've been playing on stage since you started playing I've, I've the been, bass. I've, I've found a I found a love hate relationship for the stage. You know, I said I got a love hate with music. I love being on stage. I was blessed with the personality of a front man, <laughs> and cursed with the height of a dwarf. <laughs> and, you're a tall dwarf, and man. not, not even, even sure. not even able to uh, to to carry a tune for that long. I'm not bad. Don't get me wrong. I sang in front of church. I played in front of church. I'm all right, but I'm not a front man. And I always wanted to be a front man. That's what I. That's always what I wanted to be. And I'm, I'm a bassist. I, have I think this, you. I, I think have, you still got it in you, man. You guys got to come out to a show sometime. I'm the most wild. I call my band the Motley Crew of Louisville Alternative because if we don't play the best show you've ever seen, we're tearing the thing apart. So what was the name <laughs> of the song that we came in on? <clears throat> that is "Won't Be." Okay. Uh, parentheses RF. Put your earmuffs on, kids. The RF stands for Righteous. Fuck. <laughs> is there a story behind that? Uh, there is. There's a story behind everything with me. <laughs> Haven't you guys realized that yet? How long have we been doing this for? Did you write this song? R- brief side note: My band, we do things, and it's one of the it's one of the, my most favorite things about writing music. Somebody brings an idea to the table, and it's not their song, and we just kind of all collaborate until it becomes ours. So, my uh, my singer, his name's Andy Birch. Andrew Birch, he's a local singer-songwriter, gorgeous, ex-Marine, tall, <laughs> biceps for days. Handsome. handsome Han- he's very handsome. Oh, man. Uh, and see, he's a front man. He's a front man. And I am not. Tall and handsome. <laughs> tall and, and handsome. can sing. And he can, can sing. sing. He can sing. He Boy, can sing. Boy's got a, he's a songbird. Yes, he is. Um, he brought a song to us. Uh, he said, it's only part, you know, but I want something, I want something else. And so he came to me specific and he said, there needs to be something nasty in this, something nasty. And I, now I don't know about you, but I have a couple definitions of like different definitions of nasty. And so I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the song is about a one night stand. And I was like, ah, you want that nasty. Nasty, You want that nasty. (laughs) Uh, So he said, you're the person that he said, I know you're the person that's going to give it to me. So in the song, it gets to a part where there's a little breakdown. That's that, that the bass line in it is what I came up with that everybody else kind of like. Oh, we got to hear it, man. Built it around. Let's listen to it. Let's yeah. listen to it right now. Yeah. Right, let's I, don't, to it. I don't remember exactly where it's at, so We're good luck. Find it. Good luck finding it. So I wrote this. Uh, so when we came to this spot, and I, I wrote this bass line, and uh, I just in my head every time it, it you get you get the little walk up, and every time it's like, mm, mm, it's like me flexing my stuff. You know what I'm saying? 
<laughs> so uh, that's why we have it's the song's called "Won't Be," and then the, and then the RF is for righteous fuck. <laughs> Make complete love to that song. That that is the love making spot. That right is there. The, that's the spot where if this was a music video, there would be some baby making going on. <laughs> <laughs> so. That recording right there is the second time y'all recorded, like your second go round of recording all this material again, right? Oh man, I don't even. No, hold on. When you say a second time recording, they the reco- same. No, they recorded an album. <laughs> let me I, let me if, let me summarize this. Okay, right, let's see what the summary let's see sounds if I'm like. Right. They recorded an album. We're trying to get some stuff worked on, right? Iron out some things, a remix, whatever, and the guy wouldn't give them their files or do anything with it. They couldn't eventually get any of it. So they had to re-record with the new producer or engineer from start to finish. So the money that they already spent is by the wayside and goes into the next round where you have to spend money again to record it all over again. All right. So but, that's... Hey, but let me just, before you tell me this story, <laughs> I will say this. After listening to the tracks, it was worth every penny because the new stuff is... Yeah great yeah it sounds so good what happened we 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 got together all of us uh we started being a band in january uh see i was still off for my knee surgery so i guess that was january 2018 um and who how many pieces and what name your uh, band members okay um so we're acquainted strangers there's me on bass uh, you've got Andrew Birch, local singer-songwriter, is our frontman. He plays acoustic and kind of a rhythm uh, electric. We've got a John Block, uh, JT, we call him. Uh, he's our lead. And then we've got Kyle Swords on keys and then extra guitar when we need it, which I never thought I'd be in a band with three guitars. Um, and then we have... Austin Armstrong on drums, who is, he's a local guy of massive proportion. I mean, he's in three bands at the same time. Who, is he really? Remembers everything who's, from every uh, band. Who, who's he with right now? He's with us, which is the best, by the way. Of course. Uh, then he's with a local group called Jahari. They were real big back in the metalcore scene uh, for a while, and then they've kind of recently taken a hiatus. I think I remember them. Jahari is... They're fantastic. They're kind of a melodic ambient, like metalcore type of stuff. J-A-H-A-R-I? J-O-H-A-R-I, Johari. Johari. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Formerly known as Johari Window. And then he's with a a softcore band is what I call them. Uh, They're they're also pretty good, uh, called Soft Spoken out of northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area, I'm pretty sure. Uh, But then him, he's in talks with people all the time about starting new projects. He's amazing. I don't know how he keeps all the, the beats separate in his head. You know, I have a hard enough time remembering what I had for breakfast, let, <laughs> let alone our, our our own tracks. And I've been doing some uh, other tracks for uh, a blues artist over in Lexington. And it's hard enough trying to keep all that situated, you know. Who's that? Her name is Destry Delilah. Destry Delilah. Delilah. Yeah. Her group name is the Oh, I've seen, you played in a group. You played a show with them, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I've, I've played they, a, yeah, they're good, right? Yeah, um, they're, pretty they're good. kind of alternative blues, yeah. um, new age blues. She's she she's got a, she's got like she's like a white girl Aretha Franklin. Yeah, she's got pipes. Okay, pipes. So, do you play with them a lot too? Every time they play out, or just when needed? <laughs> any any chance I get, she says I'm their first choice. I'm not so sure I believe that, but. <laughs> It's nice uh, to feel yeah. be told it there. Right, it's nice. But so um, I just did a single with them 
back in January called It Ain't Right. Played about six shows with them. Um, so any anytime, anytime that they need a bassist, and she, she'll just come to me and she'll say, hey, can you do this date? And I say, hmm. <laughs> and how much do I get paid? Right. No, no, she's a great gal. I love her. She's got one of the best, like the best voices I've ever heard. And, and that's, been, that's a good change up from your, from Acquainted as well, right? Well, with Acquainted, what's great is that we're so versatile with our styles. I, every song is completely different than the last. You guys have a ton of different styles, but it's, I, you know, I think I only heard the few that I've actually seen you play with, uh, Des, Desiree Delilah? Destry. Destry Delilah. D-E-S-T-R-Y, Destry. That's tough. That's going to be hard. So, Ian, how, how do you describe Acquainted Stranger? We're Louisville Alternative. Um, we tried for a long time to put a button on what exactly we are, and it's really hard. Every song sounds completely different, and that's to put it lightly. It's just we have so many different influences, and they all shine through. So and you say Louisville Alternative? That's what I'm going to badge it as. We're going to be the first Louisville Alternative band to be Louisville Alternative. I've actually got plans. I'm going to try to put a Louisville Alternative show together, get bands that come out for that, that are similar to us, that don't really fit in with anybody else. So does Louisville mean more diverse than a typical alternative band? Uh, we're from here, so might as well badge it. The alternative in Louisville is different because we have... I mean, for one, we're in a river valley, so everything collects here. And so we've got so many different kinds of, of influences that come here. So, I mean, you've got the Midwest, and you've got, you've got the South. I mean, you've got people who come from other places. And so just like, just like Louisville, we're kind of an eclectic group. And so I think that our alternative music speaks for itself as far as being that, that different everything's not every it's 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 kind of hard to actually record our stuff because everything's just so you how do you where do you put the level at you know like how do you make everything sound alike we've talked about diversity in in sounds a lot because of that influence i think you're right stuff collects here in louisville yeah. and, and that the sounds are so many different vibes yeah and and a lot of them are popular yeah i mean you've got the you've got the nashville's you know two hours away chicago six hours away columbus Cleveland, they're both six hours away, and Memphis. a lot of that Memphis, Memphis, a lot of that stuff comes here. I mean, dirty uh, south, that music comes up through here. Everything I mean, through shoot, I mean, you got the roots that come up through here, bluegrass, uh, country. You've got blues. I mean, shoot, Asheville, the stuff from Asheville, the singer songwriter yeah. stuff that makes its yeah. way through. Yeah, around there. I mean, uh, jacket, you know, is being mm -hmm. from here and, yeah. and having because uh, uh, Andrew, our singer, he is such a jacket head. Oh yeah, and that's like Jim James is his idol. Like he's. Jim James all up and down. Well, that's interesting because and it's true. I just think that that's that's been a like a, another through line of the the eclectic genre mixing of Louisville music. <clears throat> did we finish the recording? No, we story? didn't. We got way off topic. We didn't even yeah. start that. Oh, okay. story. So I'm gonna. Neil said the the short version, which is Neil's and it short was probably version. Wrong. What it was is that we started. Um, we had about a year together. We'd got about. Uh, a nice six, seven song set. Do you guys play all originals? Yes. I think covers are great for what they are, but original is what it's meant to be. You know, I think every musician should strive to make their own original music. We decided early last year that we were going to go record a demo because we were starting to get bigger offers uh, than we'd already gotten. Like we get asked, we get asked to play a show every every few, every few weeks. We get asked. Uh, we played on Great Day Live uh, a couple years ago. Is that WHAS? Yeah, we played uh, at the State Fair 
you know, just so we were getting bigger offers. We had some people that were sniffing around, but they needed to hear our stuff. You know, you can't just say, oh, we're a really good band. You know, you have to have that written down. So I was looking around. We were looking around. Um, we recorded a single the year before, and it carried us, like, we'd only been together for, like, three months, and we recorded the single, and the single, like, carried us for over a year. I mean, it was nuts. So we were going to go back to What's record. the title of that track? Ellis. Yeah, it's going to be on the new EP. We've, we've kind of revitalized it a little bit just so it's got a little bit of a different flair to it. Because, like I said, when we first recorded it, it was we were three we were a band for three months. You know, like we hadn't set in stone of anything that we liked or who we were or everything was kind of nobody had a particular sound. It was just kind of like yeah, you didn't even know what you were at that point, right? We didn't even know yeah. what, we didn't even know what kind of a band we were at that point. We were just playing, you know. So we decided we were going to go back and we were just going to do a demo. And so I had Destry actually turned me on to a guy from Lexington who does recordings for pretty cheap. And so we were just going to do a demo, and that's all I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And actually, funny enough, she said that, oh, he did. He recorded me for free, so if you were interested, he's doing free recordings. And so, I mean, who's not interested in free recordings? <laughs> everybody, everybody loves that. <laughs> everybody loves that. It's like free tattoos. I mean, <laughs> that's why Friday the 13th is so popular. Oh, come in and get a free tattoo or $13. What? Anyways, so um, I got in contact with this guy. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name. We got to talk in. We were going to do this uh, seven-song demo, and it was just going to be what it was. It was a demo, you know, just exactly pre-production, nothing, like just lay down tracks, go home. So we started in March of last year, and we recorded six songs in about a month. While we were in the studio, we actually wrote three more songs, which won't be was one uh, was one of our better, and they were they were a lot better than we'd already done. So we were like, "Screw it, well let's put it on here, and we'll just we'll go from a demo to basically having a full album, and we'll just be able to release an album and call it that." And so then we had to then reschedule with this guy for August. So we go in in August and record three more songs. So at this point, we were. What's March to August? About four or five four months. Four or five months. We're four or yeah, five, four months, five in months in that we should have had anything in our hands and we hadn't had no, we didn't have nothing. And then so we were waiting and we're waiting and he's had it and it's September and we're talking to him. And so then like we're getting offers to go on the radio um, and do interviews. We're um, getting offers to, for festivals. We're getting offers for all kinds of stuff. But they can't do anything unless they actually have physical tracks that they can hold in their hands you know we're putting pressure on 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 this guy and we're like man what are you what's what's going on you've had our stuff for for almost six months at this point like can we at least get the original like six or seven back it was like he'd, he'd gone from he'd gone from like working really hard on it to turtle speed like it was just like nothing and nothing and everything was just so slow going and especially because like the three new tracks that we did are they were they were going to be the thing that was going to carry us over, you know. So then it comes to be October, and so we're we're we finally were like, dude, where are our songs? And he's like, don't worry about where your songs are. Worry about putting an image on social media and doing a week by week introduction of band members and work on merchandise and work on building yourself as a 
oh, I don't know, an icon or a symbol or something, you know, kind of branding yourself. Like worry about branding yourself as a band before I give you these songs. Which, number one, buddy, that ain't your place to tell me what? how to do anything. Like that's not – that you you are a guy who recorded our stuff. Give give us the stuff. Yeah. Right? Give us the stuff. Andy's mad. Andy's hot. When Andy, when Andy gets hot, I mean, he's an ex-Marine. I mean, he's hot. He's hot. Yeah. He hits him up and he's like, look, dude, like, I don't want to be a dick to you. I want to come across as the best way I can. Like, <laughs> we're supposed to be like buddies at this point. I consider us to be friends. We all consider this guy to be like somewhat of a friend. We need these tracks. And that's when that guy was like, don't worry about it. I was trying to talk to him every so often, just try to stay in his ear, like, hey, don't forget about us, don't forget about us. I, I said, when can you have our songs done? He said, late October, early November. Now, to go back and to, to, to look at this again, we started in March, and he's talking about early November of having our stuff done. That's eight months. I've never heard of uh, anybody who's needed eight months to to. So what do you think is going on? Do you have any idea? <laughs> Actually, um, so well, the story's not done yet. So anyways, <laughs> it gets to be November, and we don't hear nothing. He stops talking to us directly. He's, he's only talking to our Instagram page. We're pretty much done with it at this point. We're, everybody's ready to just be done. I'm sorry, but the way I look at it, if I spend money on something, I don't care if it comes out sounding like a hot piece of shit. I'm going to get that shit. Yeah. I'm going to put my hands on it. I'm going to play with it, and I'm going to smear it on my face. That's what I want. I spent money on this shit. That's what we're doing. Give me, our, give me the tracks. Right. So I said, like, give me the tracks. And then we're always getting mad. We're taking screenshots of stuff that he's doing where he's playing with new gear or got other bands coming in and stuff. And it's like, you haven't even finished what we did, and you're taking new clients and want to get an attitude with us when we're asking where our stuff is. So flash forward to January, and he finally... It's funny. It's funny it went this way. We went and recorded. We recorded an entire new EP. Well, I can't say new. Well, we recorded an entire EP, six tracks, in a week. The same six. The same. The no. Well, we we talked to people and we let them listen to our tracks and we said, "What are your top six? So then we polled people and we got the top six songs of which we picked when they picked and everything. And so we went back with uh, Jordan Haynes. I will mention him in person or by name because. He's the man. Where's he out of? I believe his, his studio's Early Grace. He's out of St. Thomas More. Uh, he's got a little studio up there on the second floor. He's amazing. If you need anything recorded, he's got an ear. He's super sometimes difficult to work with because he hears something, and that's like what he's going for. And mm -hmm. so if you go against what that is, like you can butt heads really hard. But coming together and making something with him is beautiful, absolutely mm -hmm. beautiful. We went back late December. And Jordan was like, I can fit you guys in a week. We have to get this shit done in a week. <laughs> but I'll have stuff to you by January. And we're like, all right. So we went. And, of course, everybody's, you know, we're all excited for it because the sound is just completely. Because the, the, the first guy, he'd sent us, like, we had a Google file. And so, like, the, the first things that we laid down sounded fine. And then when we kept getting back edits and edits and edits, it was just worse and worse and worse. So then it's so refreshing to hear your songs and new vitality and a new light, you know, and, and everything sounds great. And so we're teasing, you know, some of this stuff. And I was like, guys, he's going to see this and he's going to get mad. And they're like, screw it. Screw him. I don't care if he gets mad. So he messages me personally. And he's like, so what's up? 
You got what do you guys are you guys recording the whole thing? Am I wasting my time on this? It's like, excuse me? Are what? you wasting your time? <laughs> wow. You've been wasting the last eight, nine, ten months. You've been we've been wasting your time doing this, re-recording something else. And so I'm trying to be as genuine like I'm trying to be as nice, jovial as I can. I was like, oh no, no, no. We we just need tracks. And you seem awful busy. So we went to someone else to get tracks. And he's like, oh, well, I'm taking specific time, you know, now. So then he comes out and he, he says basically that he got way too busy last year. He was trying to work full time and do this recording stuff at the same time. Excuses, because it doesn't matter. You Send us the tracks. Right. And so, I, and so then he's like, I'm going to take specific time. I'm going to edit everything and I'm going to send them to you in specific acquaintance stranger time. I'm going to take two weeks and I'm going to get it all done. I said, okay. All right, man. So then he comes and he sends me stuff, and they sound just as decent as they were before. Didn't take anything from the list that I made of of how to make things better or what we wanted to hear. He sends me a, a Google Drive um, a couple weeks ago, and he was like, "How's this? How's this sound?" And I was like, "I don't even care anymore." So I'm like, "Sounds great. Put a bow on it. Send it to me. Just give me it." We've moved on. Yeah, it's like we've got this huge, bigger thing now, this huge, bigger fish to, to, to unleash into the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care about this. We're going to basically do it as a demo. This is what everything could have sounded like when we first did it after a year and a half almost. So is that uh, six-track EP, is it done? Is it edited? Is it mastered? Is it finished? So we've got masters, master mixes back, so we're just kind of waiting on the finished product at this point. So what do you think? The uh, What do you think? Oh, I'm I'm ecstatic. Are you freaking out how good they sound? I'm freaking out just a little bit because everything, everything's so different. Like even even just even just going to with a different engineer, everything's different. You know, it's like is everything's the same. Just are, are you? Do you hear it with fresh ears when you hear it from somebody else's? Because I mean, you're really getting a new perspective when you have a new uh, engineer slash producer that 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 especially one that's picky. Yeah. With hey. Go for this. I'm going for this sound with you guys because you guys can produce this sound. Meet me in the middle, and it pushes you to do things. Do you think it made it bigger and better and broader? Do you think it made you better? Or maybe even going through the first process made you better in the second process? I think I think I learned a lesson, that the first one seemed too easy, and so it was. Mm. Um, and the second time, I think that if you have something – that you want to be the best that can be, it's hard work. You got to push yourself, and it's and you can't have someone who just goes, "Okay, yeah, that's fine." You know, you need somebody that's like, "Do it again. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. Let's try this way. Let's try your way. Let's try my way. Let's see what's better." Diamonds are made under pressure. You know, like you need that criticism in the studio. Like, yeah, I mean, you might be Eddie Van Halen. You might be able to lay out the best solo anyone's ever heard, but if you don't have the right guy in the booth that's pushing you to be that person. We could have got the first take of Eruption that sounded not nearly as good as the however many takes that it took to get that one solo. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's that I, that's that's my biggest thing is I learned a lesson I've, that you need that kind of criticism. Did you guys lay down the tracks as a band? Um, we did piecework. Early Grace isn't really set up for a full band setup. It's kind of like an old teacher's lounge. You basically, it's he's got the computer and the recording stuff in one room, and then he's got like basically the 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 cab slash vocal slash drum room and in another room that's separated by a door. But so we piece worked it. So how did the tracks go down? 
Oh man. So Austin came in first weekend and Austin the drummer. Austin the drummer. Uh Austin Armstrong. He's amazing. He came in and because he's just that good, he laid down all of his tracks in two days. In less than two days, actually, probably one day. So what was he what was he listening to? Just a just a click track? Basically just a click track. We had given uh Jordan the other tracks that the first ones that you listen to, okay, the demo type stuff, and so he had those. So we kind of based everything on that, but he didn't play along with the song. He just knows it. It's and so then he got done. Um, everybody works different schedules, you know. I, being this age and trying to make music is not nearly as fun or easy as it was when I was nineteen. Mm-hmm. I worked overtime every day or not overtime every day just I, it would just depend so then i would just basically text jordan and be like hey i'm gonna get off at this time he'd say all right come over and so then i would come in nobody else would be there and i'd work for hours putting down bass lines every day you would go in lay down three or four songs at a time oh no i do one song a day as, as that's as much as i could do because we were so pressed for time we were almost having to do a song like every song in sequence you know, mm-hmm. uh, because we couldn't just come in and I didn't have the time because I, I had the time. It's just that when you're trying to fit five people mm-hmm. to record one song or six songs, you know, in a week, it's it's almost impossible. So I had to I'd come in and basically almost had to nail it as quickly as I could because somebody else had to come in behind me. John would be off at six. And so he'd come in over at 630. Andy would be off at five he'd come over at five thirty, and just whoever got there is whatever we would do wow kyle works at uh ups at third shift so he had to be at work before nine so he'd have to show up and we so we had a time strength with him that was different than everybody it wasn't when after work you could show up it was when he had to leave for work and you know and and be gone i bet jordan was glad to get rid of you guys after that week you know like, what? holy crap dude i've worked way more than y'all <laughs> y'all are in and out i've been here all day <laughs> uh jordan is a really good friend uh and i'm glad to say that he's a really good friend uh so i think that he hates us and loves us at the same there time you go. <laughs> <laughs> so when uh do you have a kind of eyeball for a release date i'm thinking may I'm hoping May. Ooh, like Derby Weekend May. Well, Ellis actually has the has the phrase "Go baby go" in it, and I'm okay. re- and I'm Uh-oh. really ho- and I'm really hoping that we can release that and the Derby can pick up on it. That would be awesome, right? <laughs> so there there'd be us with the horses running. Yeah, they're gonna pick the, up on, the, on, the, on it, the and they're gonna horse. serve you a copyright subpoena. <laughs> That's what they're gonna do. <laughs> so who's the promoter in the band? The promoter. Who does most of your marketing stuff and gets you out there? <sighs> Me. You? <laughs> you okay. You're your hype man? Me. I'm a hype guy. Because if I don't do it, mm, it probably wouldn't happen. Uh, Andy's not bad. Andy does Andy does a good portion of it. I do a good portion of it. Um, and then I guess, I guess you could say that I do about 30%, and Andy does about another 30%, and then the rest of the band fills up the rest of... So what's the plan with the EP? It's it's really hard because we have every song sounds so good that you'd want to have every song be a single. 
You know, you want to you want to make sure that every song gets its appropriate time of being on top. So it's hard to pick which because we're planning on doing at least one single, maybe two, but not more than two because we've already released Ellis, you know, mm-hmm. a couple years ago. So it'd almost be ridiculous because people already have Ellis to try to do two or three more singles yeah. on top and already have Ellis. And it's like, oh, well, just here's the whole album. All right, here's the OEP, should I say. So um, probably do a single or two get some merch to go with it that's been one of our biggest things that people when they come to our shows want us to have like t-shirts or stickers or koozies or something probably after a single or two i'd i'd really there's a band called lionheart that they're perfect about this and i oh, if i could if i had the money i would do it too but every time that they do an album they do like a two or three song uh uh, release, you know, like every two weeks from each other, mm-hmm. and they do a single and then another single. And every time that they put out, they drop a new song within a week, they've already dropped the music video for it. Mm-hmm. And I would love, uh, I wish I had that kind of money for us to be able to go do that. I think you could do a music video cheap if you well, know you anybody know, that, that could. We, is, I mean, shoot, with, with phones these days, you I mean, you can do it, you can do it, but it's just like. I don't have the technological I don't have vision. I like. I mean, because yeah, I can. I can sit here and I can film this and I can turn it into a video, but it's gonna sound like me with a phone doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't edit and do all the fancy stuff, and so that's 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 my thing. But somebody you know, do you have somebody, ideas somebody for a video? You know I do. I do. I have a lot. So it won't be uh, the song that we started off with. It started off as kind of sort of a. Uh, a, a one night stand kind of thing but in my head um so andy is married to a very beautiful woman her name's Alora, and um i thought of how funny it would be to uh during the verses of like them like him meeting her at a bar somewhere and you know they don't like you know do the whole we don't know each other kind of sort of thing and they're meeting for the first time and it's going great and then so he goes she you know she goes home with him and so he wakes up the next day and then there's me in a wig <laughs> <laughs> um you know and then so like the second verse you know it's it's the, you know he's got her you know Laura's back and they're driving somewhere down cuz he he mentioned 65 so i thought it'd be good for the the, the image of 65 to be there. So he's driving, her dark hair is blowing in the breeze and all that kind of stuff. And then he wakes up the next day and it's somebody else and from the band in the same wig that I was wearing, you know. <laughs> and then so the last time, you know, that he wakes up, it's the other two members both wearing wigs. <laughs> and so, like, you know, it's this whole, like... One night, one night stand, one night stand thing. thing, and so like he's he basically he's got goggles on <laughs> and doesn't realize that, you know... And so then, plus it'd just be funny just to have us dress up with wigs on. <laughs> um, you could get somebody to film that for you, man. Right. It'd be great. It'd be good, too. It'd be, it'd be good fun. Um, then we have another song called Waves. It's pretty... It's, that one's your favorite, isn't it? Uh, I, I had the most fun coming up with that, with that bass line. Okay. Just because I heard it. You know, it's one of those moments of where you hear it. And you know, you always hear artists say, "Oh, I just, I just kind of heard it one day, and it was mm-hmm. just it." And that's basically what it was: is that John came up with this, like, "Hey, I wrote this thing," and he started doing it. And I was like, "I have it." <laughs> but so it's kind of more of a, it's got, it's got sort of kind of a, of a pop feel to it. It's got a nice groove to it. In in my head, I was picture. It, it reminds me of, of a day at the beach. Like it's real fun sounding. So in my in my what I had in, in mind for a music video was just loading up the guys in a in a van or a bus or 
a truck or whatever and bonsaiing it out to a beach. And so like filming the whole thing and then uh, getting to the beach and setting up and like playing on the beach for, you know, no other reason than just we're going to play on the beach. We're going to do it. Right. And then just if I had the uh, technology and the know-how and then being able to edit together the fun road trip with friends to the beach and having us the very last chorus playing on the beach all together, you know. Um, but uh, Andy came up with an idea for waves that would be us in a Bob Ross painting. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good wig. So <laughs> I don't you know. Might, you might be able to pick one, pick the Bob Ross out. I could you actually. Might be I, able to. I used to, I used to have the Bob you, Ross. You so who writes the lyrics? That's all Andy. He's okay. very... And then you guys come together as a band and make the music? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's kind of how that goes. Um, he's very particular about what he writes. He's got a... He likes a certain rhythm. Um, he's got a feel. He's got that kind of vision of where he hears something and he can feel it. And then he writes this kind of... I don't exactly understand the the rhythm that he comes up with as far as... Because he'll, he'll, he'll bounce ideas off me. I write poetry and, and, and stuff sometimes. And so he's like, what do you think about this? And I'm you like, write well, a lot. I do. And so I, he says, what do you think about this? And I'm like, well, I think you could change this to get a different feeling. He's like, no, 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 no. That has to be there. That has to be there. And it's like, then why even ask, bro? But so, yeah, that's that's kind of how that goes. Is he, he comes up with... He just wants affirmation. It, that's exactly it. We call, we call Andy a diva because, yeah, like, he's, he's just... He's lead singer. He's the biggest diva in the whole world. And he just needs to hear, like, oh, bro, that's, that's fantastic. Amazing. That's so yes, good. Andy, great. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, basically... Uh, one person will bring an idea to the table, which one of the songs that we didn't get to do on the EP, which I am absolutely so bummed about, was a song called The Hymn. H-Y-M-N? Yes. We wrote this song as a as an ode to music. Like, this is our hymn. Like, we're worshiping music because of how much it's done for us. And what how that got started was that Kyle... He's only been playing piano for a couple of years, and he's fantastic. He's picked it up. I mean, he's got these long spider fingers, so he can get all over the place. He's got a cool last name, too. Swords. Truax yeah. and Swords. Truax and Swords, bro. Right. That's, that's perfect. It writes, it writes itself. That should be the band name, Truax and Swords. That leads up to another idea for I have, but I'm going to keep that one secret for, okay. uh, for a music video. <laughs> um, he came up, and he was like, hey, guys, I wrote this. I, I feel really passionately about it. I want to put it into a song. And I said, fuck yeah, bro, let's do it. <laughs> so, like, I'm coming up, like, I played the most, like, upright bass feel that I could on an electric bass. Just the whole in my head with the piano that he's got going, it reminds me of, like, a dark, smoky club, you know. And it's just this, and then, like, the light would come in center stage, and there's Andy that just kind of starts singing. And it's just me, Kyle, Austin, and and uh, and Andy, all do you just, have any recordings of that? I've got, um, I've got a Google Drive version of that that we did with the other guy. It sounds all right, but it's, uh, it's just it's it's so and you know good enough I'm, to play a little bit on here. Yeah, I'm sure we could.
call it the hymn because it's like our ode to music. It's uh, it, kind of the best way to describe how this song came around is just to describe kind of like how we write as a band. Um, Kyle came to us with a with an idea, which was the the main theme of this whole song. And I'm really bummed we didn't get to do it uh, just because it's so good. Um, but it's actually it's beneficial, but I'll get there. Um, so Kyle came with this idea, and he was like, guys, I have this thing. I've, like, I, I wrote it. I'm really proud of it. It's so shiny and new and fresh. Look at it. <laughs> and so I said, let's do it. We got this. And so I came up with the bass line, and I tried to make it kind of as – it doesn't really come across well in the recording, but – now I got it where it's down pat, and I wanted to make it sound as much like an upright as possible, some dirty, dicey jazz club, and there's just us and smoke in one spotlight in the middle, you know, and we're all trying to fight for the spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how most of our songs go. If when, <laughs> when we listen to Waves, you'll see everybody's trying to, like, be right up front. Here we are. <laughs> uh, then so he came forward with the, his idea, and then I came up with mine, Andy comes up with his, John comes up with his, and then we bring everything together. And all of a sudden, what I love most about our songs is that they'll go in directions you really don't even see coming. So like that song builds at this moment. It gets so intense and it's so passionate. Like that's the one thing about the song. It's more than any other song that we have besides like End of the Moon is 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 so passionate. And then it gets to to, to the very end of this huge buildup. And all of a sudden we're doing this this it's like almost a cross between heavy and Zeppelin. Like it's just, it's got this Zeppelin like moment in the middle, like right at the end of it. And it's gorgeous, but it's a good that we didn't get to record it again because for two reasons, I have a project base I'm building that's going to be fretless that I want to record on it. Ooh. Oh yeah. This project base is going to be a monster. Yeah. Especially on those slides. Oh Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, I've gone and I've bought other electronics. I've bought. I'm cutting holes in the thing. I'm gonna like sand it, stain it, the whole nine yards. It's gonna be completely different. The Franken bass. Oh, it's gonna be Franken bass from oh, hell. Yeah. I got a Music Man uh, humbucker Ooh. that I'm cutting into a J bat, like a J body, <laughs> and it's gonna it's gonna have all that punch that I could ever want. I had always heard this song as a duet, and so I've actually reached out to a local. Um, Artist, she used to sing in a few bands. I'm like, look, I need your beautiful voice on a song. And she's like, down. So now we get to make a duet that I've been hearing since we basically wrote the song. That, I mean, if everybody agrees, you know, that's got to be, that's the, that's the thing, is we have to have a 3-2 majority vote to pass the Senate to make sure things happen. But duet happened with that when we go back to record it again. If you need a... You need a couple lobbyists. So should we hear a little clip of the end of this song at the build-up? or You know, honestly, man, I, if you want to put it in there, you can. I'd like to keep that kind of like a little hush-hush. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll, yeah, we'll, make, we'll a, make people wait. I like what you're doing there. Give them a little taste and then <laughs> we'll back away. We'll make people wait, dude. That's why. Especially once the duet, if, it, if the duet happens, 3-2 oh yeah, vote. It's going to be, I'll take, I'll take lobbyists, you know, money to, to, for votes, but... We don't have we we don't have any pack money, but we can you know. Well, it, well, it'll work out. It'll work out. <laughs> so when are you gonna take this to the recording studio? Oh, buddy! If well, I had the money and we had the time, I'd go tomorrow. Well, and that's what I was gonna ask: is is that why it got cut? Because just time, money, 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 and time. It's amazing how quick fifteen hundred, two thousand, five thousand dollars can go in a studio. Yeah, 
Neil, you need to help me remember. Okay. When we get Top Hill Recording Studio done, we need to contact Ian and see if they're ready to go with Kyle's song. <laughs> but, can you come, come back up here and do it? Yeah, well, we can see about doing that. Yeah. Give you cut rate. For sure. <laughs> yeah, you, give me, you offer it for free, I'll think about it more. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> um, so when we went to record the EP, uh, the Jordan's prices, I mean, he's fair. He's a fa- he's, he's got fair prices, but... We could only swing doing a re like a reboot of Ellis and then five other songs because it was gonna come out to be like four or five hundred bucks a song. So it was mm-hmm. like we couldn't, you know, not it's it's it was around Christmas. It was like a week or two before Christmas. So it was like how much money are you gonna spend and not yeah. be able to spend, you know, for for the holiday type stuff. So I'd like I'd like. Um we've got two songs that didn't make it on to the E P that I really wanted. So we're going to record those. Uh, we've already got one song basically finished to put on there with it. And then we're probably going to write about four more. And then we'll do another EP. Uh, maybe small album, but probably an EP. I, I think, honestly, I think in today's market, it's better to do EPs than albums anyways. Nobody has the attention span for EP, uh, for albums. We've, t- we've discussed yeah. that, too. It's That's the way to do it. Five, six songs max. Five, six songs. The best five, six songs that you got. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like bands write albums because they have the, the catalog for it. But I think EPs are better because you can winnow down from an album what songs out of those could have been singles and then putting them all together and then you have the best songs of yours. Mm-hmm. So, What does Acquainted Stranger have on the calendar coming up? You guys just played this last weekend. Yeah, we just played at uh, 21st Amendment. Mm-hmm. That was, How uh, was that? <laughs> buddy. <laughs> uh, every, every Acquainted Stranger uh, set is unique and eccentric and different than the last time. We, do, we don't do anything the same twice. Every song is exactly the same, but things that we do while we do it, no. <laughs> I'm a madman. Uh, I almost fall over every time. <laughs> John is just John, and Kyle is Kyle. And actually, but what was most in, most fun about this last one, besides the fact we didn't do any sound check, there was no sound check. I've I've listened to videos of us from this past gig. And I am just dominating everything else. <laughs> and I'm like, I should not be this. I sh- it should never be me this loud ever because it's like, oh, look, you fucked up. Oh, you <laughs> fucked up again. <laughs> so what was most fun about this, besides not having a sound check, the whole evening was weird. But our drummer was with his other band, uh, Soft Spoken, on a weekend tour. So we went and talked to a, a local friend who plays drums. And so he basically learned our whole set in a month and came out with us. So it was just a little different. Um, so like, like even, for instance, uh, at the beginning of Won't Be, it starts off with the drum fill. Well, live, it starts off with a bass and drum solo. It's me and Austin going tete-a-tete, one for one, and, and seeing who can come up with what. And so he kind of will do something, and I try to match, and it's a lot of fun. Well, we told Simon about it. Simon Hall, I think is his last name, but uh, he filled in for us. And so we told him about it. So he was all about it. With Austin, it's always like we do improv and then we cut off and then it's nothing and then improv and then cut off. So it's this little, you know, playful thing like that. Simon just went for it. Simon plays funk and jazz. And so he just went. So me and him are just going balls to the fucking wall. <laughs> It was the most fun thing I've done in a long time. And so we're just going full tilt 
right through this whole thing. Please uh, tell me there's video of that I, there, somewhere. There has to be. I hope so. I don't. I really hope so. I told uh, John's girlfriend to record it. Like it was. You had I, a feeling. I, I had a feeling it was going to be. I guess going to be different. So, but the best part of the night. I know nothing about this gig. I just know that show up. That's that's. I know we're playing last, and I thought somebody had set at some point thirty minute sets, which is a good, which is a good size set. So that's what we practiced with Simon, was a thirty minute set. Now this is important because the first band went on right after nine, like around nine oh five, nine ten. They didn't stop until after ten twenty. Huh? They didn't stop until ten twenty, and that's then. I, when I say they didn't stop. They went from cover to cover covers? to cover. They went from doing original music to their covers like that. And they're all up there and they're all sweating like dough. It's amazing. It's like one of the best things I've ever seen just because these guys are getting it. They're the dream, you know, like that's the dream. And so I thought the second band would be going at 10 o'clock. I mean, I'm enjoying myself. I'm having a drink or two, drink or two, drink or two, just waiting for this band to be over. I go outside, and I'm talking to two guys, and all of a sudden I come in, and uh, John, the guitarist, finds me. He's like, bro, where have you been? We're about to go on. So what it was is that they got done, and then there was a 15-minute turnaround for the second band. So like they went on, and within 15 minutes of going on, they were off. So we go on, and it's basically just like plug and rip. You know what I'm saying? Like we didn't have no idea of when to do anything or do anything so it just goes um to also go with this gig that the guy contacted us a week before and said hey here's your tickets sell these to make money what so he didn't even pay us for the gig because he gave us tickets for us to sell but he didn't give it to us until sunday and the gig was on saturday that's crap right so anyway so we play we play the set Set goes great. That's I mean, a rip, by the way. Yeah. And so it kind of started off a little rocky. I couldn't hear anything. No monitors, no nothing. There was no sound equipment, apparently, and so the first band brought their own sound equipment, and we used it. Like, the, the venue didn't even have sound. They Maybe they had the sound set up, but they didn't have a soundboard, and they didn't have nobody to run sound. So we had some other guy from some local band running sound. To preface this, I always think I play like shit. Like, anytime I play out live, if you tell me I did a good job, I'm going to know you're full of shit. Because <laughs> I, I always think I play like shit. And so I play this. We, wave starts off. When you hear it, it's, it's bouncy. It's fun. It's light. gets people involved. And I can't hear nothing. I can only hear myself. So I don't know where I'm at. And so finally, I just, like, I found my little groove. I found my pocket. You know, there's a part in it that's pretty technical. And I was so focused on trying to hear other people that I... Couldn't do that, so I just played a really minimal version of it. And so I was really kind of... <laughs> Ticked. At that point, yeah. But it got better, and it got better, and it got better, and it got better. And so then we end with a song called Lucy, which is, didn't get recorded. I would share a recording of it with you, but it is awful. <laughs> <laughs> awful. And it's such a good song. It's such a, it, it, it starts off, and it's it's this really fun like kind of Hispanic vibe, and we get this real bouncy, and then it gets into this huge just jam, this huge jam session. Uh, and that's how we end. I mean, it even ends like it has an ending spot that that's me that I play it because it's the end of the set, and then, you know, and I'm playing like some kind of a pentatonic walk down, but do 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 like kind of sort of thing. Done. And so then all of a sudden, I think we're done, and I'm about to unplug my stuff. And so then Andy gets this look in his eye, and he doesn't say nothing to nobody, and he turns around to the microphone, and he goes, "You guys want to hear one more?" <laughs> And so then I'm sitting there going, what are we playing? 
And he goes, don't worry, it's it's Dartmoor. And so Dartmoor is a song. It was the very first song we ever played together. It's super simple. It's like a four beat, four bar, just, you know, he, he turned around and he told Simon, he said, Simon, don't worry about it. Just follow us. Just super. So then, and so we have a little break in the middle where Kyle, Kyle would do some piano type stuff. And so then I would basically just hanging out by Simon. And I was like, all right, here's the break. And I said, bring it back. You know, and then I'd say, all right, now we're going to build up. And then so then it goes back into the the regular just kind of vibe. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I mean, I'm talking nowhere. I had no idea this was coming up. Dartmoor turned into this two and a half minute song into a seven minute jam session. <laughs> we went for forever. Was it amazing? Oh, my God. It was the best feeling of my life. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it happened. And, and so then I'm, I'm hollering over at Simon. I'm like. Faster! <laughs> I'm doing just I'm just walking everywhere and I'm and he's just following me and we're vibing together and then I'd go heavy you know something like that and then like so then all of a sudden I'd because I play a six string bass the whole thing's in D so I went from a D and I went down to the low D and I start just beating the absolute shit out of my bass I mean like just my hand hurt the next day like beating the absolute crap out of it he's beating the shit out of the drums and all of a sudden out of nowhere there's John doing a solo. He never does solos. And he's just playing for all he's worth. And so then all of a sudden I realize I've not been looking around. Like I've just been paying attention to what I'm doing. And I look over and there's Andy. And Andy's kicking left and kicking right. And he's beating the <laughs> shit out of his guitar. And John's like almost like in the fetal position because he's playing so hard. He's on the floor. And then there's Kyle who never really gets much into the songs. And he's just pounding these keys all away. That's what it's about. Right there, y'all had a heck of a closing. That's how you close down a show. We shut the place down. That's how you do it. I because in plus, you know, and I was talking shit about myself the whole time, like before with the other bands and stuff like that. And everybody came up to me and they were like, I thought you were supposed to suck. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where it came from. It's one of those nights, man. One of those nights, that's what it was. So yeah. when, when's the next time you're going to have one of those nights? You got something coming um, up? Yeah, well, I forgot that we were talking about our, our upcoming. February 26th, we're playing at Kaiju, which is a real small pub bar um, in Germantown, I believe. Yeah. Right next to the Blind Rabbit. The Blind Sounds Rabbits, good. I believe, is so this, a... Thr- this podcast will be out, I think, on the 28th when this will be published. Uh, well, then uh, you guys... Oh, you missed that one. You've missed our, our 26th show. Oh, um, dang. Then we've gotten offered two in March and one in April, but I'm probably not going to be able to play either one in March. And why is that, sir? Oh, um, as... Because life loves me and I have the best luck in the game, I get my shoulder replaced March 3rd. Total shoulder replacement? Total shoulder replacement. You are our second guest. This is our 11th podcast, and you're our second guest with total shoulder replacement. Second bass player, too. Second bass player. Second yeah. bass player. I think now, it's the bass. Now, it is the bass, because whenever you play it like me, it's got to be. <laughs> Now I'll give you two. But gu- I'll give our you- first guest was seventy-two years old. And you're thirty. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be thirty in in um, five months. Yeah, five months I'll be thirty. So how did you tear your shoulder up that badly that quickly? No idea. I wish I had an answer for that. I really do. It was one of those things that it just happened. I was nineteen. I was at church actually. Um, we'd been hanging out and stuff. Uh, somebody came up with the idea of playing volleyball, and I hate 
the sport of volleyball. I love watching volleyball because <laughs> those girls are monsters. They are absolute monsters. And not even like they're really good at their sport monster, but like they will beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> they're like female rugby players in smaller shorts. But so, uh, which is not my favorite part. That's my favorite part. <laughs> my, wife is, my wife is going to listen to this. It is not my favorite part. My wife will listen to it. Sorry, honey. But so we went to go play volleyball, and I don't remember how it happened, but somebody served, and I just kind of came out to, just to put it in play. And I felt something and heard something in my shoulder that sounded like a, like a leaflet of wet paper just tearing at the same time, like just a little... And it was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my entire life. You didn't um, dive on it or anything? You just no, went to hit I just, it? I just put my arm out, which which means to me that I must have, because I, I went from uh, being kind of a scrawny little kid, um, and in high school I started getting broad shoulders and everything, so I started working out, um, and I think it was just really bad form. And I, I became a, a, a personal trainer, a body professional type person. Um, for like, I, mean, I still feel that way. Uh, can't see it when you look at me, but I feel that way. Uh, so, and since I've learned that I really didn't have proper form, my maxes senior year were stupid. I was 165 pounds and I was benching 275. I was squatting 525. And I just think that I was lifting just really, really terribly. And I think yeah. I was doing way too much weight for what I should have been doing. So anyway, so flash forward 19, my shoulder tears and being from Fairdale, you don't ever pay attention when you're injured because if you look at an injury, if you pay attention to an injury, it's you're you're you're, you're less than everybody else. You know, you should be able to do everything you can. Whatever, I went whenever. to the doctor. <laughs> Call me what you want. Uh, you didn't grow up with me then. You have some bone damage though. Right? I've got well, yeah. so um, I had labrum tear and I had a 75 percent tear on the back half of my labrum. So um, I got that fixed when I was 19. I put fix in quotes because I don't know if I ever did. I lost rotation and uh, couldn't do certain things with it. Like to this day, I can't throw anything with my right arm. Uh, so I try to throw with my left. <laughs> 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 um, but so um, I was 21. I went back. My shoulder was bugging me for, for forever. So I went back uh, to a doctor and I wanted to get a second opinion because my shoulder never felt like it ever healed. And so he went in he went, and he looked and he was like, you know, we really can't tell from the MRI what's going on. So we're going to have to cut you open and do a scope and see what's going on in there. And then we'll either we don't have to fix anything or I'll fix what I see. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to let you just cut open my body like a science experiment. Like I'm the frog and you're just figuring out what's inside me. <laughs> and so that way you can sit there and, and, and figure it out afterwards. No, 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 no. I decided not to get surgery because I told myself after my last, my first surgery, I wasn't going to get it again. And uh, that changed real quickly when I tore my ACL in a mosh pit. So um, flash forward to last year, I've been living with this shoulder for over 10 years now. It's just what it is. Uh, it hurts every day. I just always figured that's just what it was going to be for the rest of my life. And so I went to the doctor because I was lifting, and I went a little wide, and I gave myself a shoulder impingement. So I went to the doctor to see how I could fix it. And uh, they were like, hey, do you know you have to replace your shoulder? Really? I saw three doctors in a year. Three different doctors, and they all gave me the same diagnosis. I've got pictures, bro. Everybody, when they came in, they said, I expected you to be 70 or 80 years old. 
with that kind of shoulder? Like, how did you do this? And all I can say is, I don't know. I lived a rough life. It's a bummer for your, your bass playing for a little while. So well, how long are you going to be out? Uh, are you going to be able to be uh, there for the oh, EP no. release? Uh, well, I'll be there for the EP release for sure. By May? For sure. Be I'll, be, I'll be good by May. And if I'm not, I'm going to tear you're that. Gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyways. You're going to um, require another surgery. Oh, You'll be ready by May. I'll when you, when you have the surgery? March 3rd. Yeah. I'll be fine. Probably, um, I think it's four weeks I have to stay restricted in the sling. So I'll be good to go by mid-April. And then... It's just basically going to be light stuff. Then you're going to have to, like, EP night. You're going to have to chill out a little oh, bit. Oh, I'm going to be, my ass is going to be 70 years old sitting on a stool, bass player that's been playing <laughs> for you years now. There you go. <laughs> All right, Ian. Well, man, I'm glad you could join us tonight. It's been nice talking to you. It's been nice to be able to talk. Yeah, man, thanks for the bourbon education. Yeah. It's awesome. You're and welcome. And we're going to go out. We'll listen to Waves. How's that? Sounds great. All right, guys, we'll catch you all next time around. All See right, you. Brother. Enjoy Waves. Yes.